Good morning and welcome to the Quincy Church of the Nazarene. I am glad you chose to join us this morning. Today's date is May 30th, 2021, and our text this morning comes from John 3, verses 1 through 17. Please join me in the reading of God's word. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, on this Trinity Sunday, I think it's important that we start with noticing the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work in this passage. They're all focused on one purpose, the salvation of the world they love. Now, if we back up just a minute and we talk about Trinity to define what we mean, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, one deity. So the early church fathers would make a grid and they would say, the son is not the father, is not the Holy Spirit, is God. And then they'd say, the father is not the son, is not the Holy Spirit, is God. And they'd say, the Holy Spirit is not the son, is not the father, is God. So they'd have this triangle with the, the three names, Father, Son, and Spirit, and they'd have is not pointed between them, and then they'd have God in the middle, and is all pointing in. And so the Trinity is the way that the Christian faith affirms God in three persons. For most of us, most of the time, we probably don't think a lot about this, but it's really important. 
because God is love in relationship all the time with God's self. And out of the abundance of this love, God creates. And in John, in the beginning of John, we'll see John say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And so, John starts putting this together for us. It's never going to be completely outlined, because none of us has access to that kind of detailed knowledge. Our minds are still limited human minds. But John starts drawing for us this image of the Word who becomes flesh, who lives and dwells among us, who is with God in the beginning, who is always with God, who is eternally God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, acting together in all things, including the creation of the world. And so, in John, even before we get to this passage, the Father, Son, and Spirit are a big deal to keep together. And you'll notice, even when it's not stated, that wherever one of them is working, the other two are working as well. So it's nice when it's stated all together, like in this passage. But sometimes you'll find just hints of the other ones there. But they're there. And so we worship one God, not three, one. But we also recognize that God has three persons. Now, as Jesus points out in this passage, the only one that we actually have seen is Jesus. The Spirit, he compares to the wind that you don't see moving. You, you feel the effects. You can see the ripples in the grass when you walk out of the house or you step out of the car and it messes up your hair, you can feel the effects. But you know it's there, even though you can't see it. He says that that's like the spirit, and it's the same word in Greek as it is in Hebrew. Well, the Greek word and the Hebrew word both have two meanings, which is breath or spirit. Um, they're not the same word, but they both have that double connotation. And so when Jesus says that it's like the wind that blows where it will, you could actually read that the spirit just breathes wherever it wants to. And so we might not know precisely where it started, where it comes from, or where it's going, or even its purpose in the middle, but we can trust that the Spirit of God is still continuing the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit all together as the Spirit moves. And so in this text, we have Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee who is a member of the Jewish ruling council and a teacher of Israel. Um, this is not just a random person off the street. This is one of the people who knows that they know that they know the law, the scriptures, 
the writings, the prophets, has studied and has come to the belief that the way that the whole nation should live should be according to the priestly code so that God can come and work in their midst. And he comes and he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you're from God. And he gets it right. Jesus is absolutely from God. But he totally misses the fact that he's talking to God as well. And Jesus cuts straight to the chase, straight to the heart of the issue. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And this word again is the same word in Greek that means from above. So you could also read this. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born from above. And it confuses Nicodemus who's studied all his life. But we shouldn't give him too much um, trouble for his confusion because the same confusion becomes our confusion. See, Nicodemus knows the right answers. He spent his life studying the scriptures, memorizing them questioning them, arguing with other teachers about how to interpret them properly. Part of this might be such a rabbinic discussion between two teachers of the law who have differing interpretations. But we have the same confusion. What does it mean to be born from above? How can this happen to us? Surely it's not going to be like our first birth. It's impossible. We're way too big now, at the least. Jesus says, no, you're not getting it. But I'll tell you again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. And so we go from seeing to entering. And I think this is an important thing for us to notice, that you can't even perceive the will of God without the intervention of the Spirit, much less live into it without this sort of new birth. And so Jesus proceeds to offer some justification for how he knows this. He came from heaven. And he points out that the reason for his coming from heaven is God's love for the cosmos, the world, the earth, the whole universe. For God so loved the cosmos that he gave his one and only son. And this should give us some pause. I'm sure it gave Nicodemus some pause. Jews don't talk about God having a son. That, that's nothing that enters their conception. 
But Jesus, being the Son, talks about the Son, will claim that the way that we know God is by looking at the Son of God. He says the reason that he's there, the reason they're having this conversation is because of God's extravagant love for the whole universe. This is not just some theoretical good feeling love. This is love for a world in rebellion for a universe being led in rebellion by rebellious people who don't even recognize the creator of the universe when he moves into their neighborhood. This is love that is extended even to the people who will nail Jesus to the cross. This is a sort of love that is so nitty-gritty and real that it's really hard to grapple with. In fact, when we encounter it, our response tends to be, at least my response tends to be, the response of Jonah. If you remember, Jonah was sent to Nineveh. He didn't want to go. He tries to run away, he ends up in the belly of the big fish, he's spit up, he goes to Nineveh, he preaches, repent, and Nineveh repents. And Jonah has the reaction that I have, and he goes and he sits on an outlook overlooking it, and he says, God, why do you have to be a God of love? Can't you at least smite the enemies of your people? Can't you at least, like, rain down a little bit of fire on this town? Like, why not even bother coming? I knew you were a god of love. And his attitude stinks. My attitude stinks. Because love is easy when it's a distant concept. But love is hard when you've been wronged, or when you think you've been wronged, or when the things that you think should be yours are threatened. Love is hard when we live in a nation that wants to protect borders and guard treasures and store up wealth. We don't have very many good examples of love. Of the kind of love that goes to the place where it's least wanted to give eternal life to the very people who want to squash life. was a hard message for me to hear this week because I like love and I like 
the idea of loving and protecting each other. But I also like holding grudges and hanging on to righteous indignation. The two don't really coexist. And without the help of the Spirit, we, as people, are without hope of living into this kind of life and love. But John leaves us with hope. The Spirit has come. The Spirit is on the loose. The Spirit is moving. The Spirit invites us to new life. To God's life. As Paul will say in Romans 8, the Spirit invites us to be adopted as God's children. Co-heirs with Christ. And bringers of God's love to a world that is still being led in rebellion. To participate even now in eternal life in Jesus. Something we thought wouldn't happen until the very end of times we're invited to start living into now. We're invited to see and recognize the reign of God. We're also invited to live into God's kingdom forever. Because at some point it will be established. And we're going to be citizens of God's kingdom. Because we're part of God's family. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, we are your servants, whom you have adopted as your children. Thank you for giving us grace to have the faith to see and acknowledge the glory of the eternal trinity and the power of your divine majesty to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith and worship and bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory, to live in your kingdom your children. O oh, Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit live and reign, one God forever and ever. Amen. Until next week, go in God's peace. May God's Spirit move you.